0: This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Norwegian pianist Leif Ove Ansnes is also an artistic partner with the Mahler Chamber Orchestra. Now, this is an ensemble that has no home base. They're always on the move. And Leif Ove Ansnes told me that one reason is because they really like to make music that gets to the core of things. That's what they did with the Beethoven journey about a decade ago. And now they're flowing in the momentum of Mozart with Le Fauvé Ansnes conducting from the piano. The recording is called Mozart Momentum 1786, and it's what we hear about this week on new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. Leif Ove, what's it been like for you being back in the concert hall performing? What does that feel like? Are, is there, are you noticing anything different than pre-COVID days?
1: I think we are also grateful and happy to be back to uh, normal life and normal, you know, music making. And maybe, you know, for me, a lesson has been to um, not take for granted what I had. You know, in in the Pandemic period when when I had a chance to get to a concert hall and play on a wonderfully tuned piano in a in a great acoustic, it brought tears to my eyes because I didn't do it every week. I didn't take it for granted anymore. It was a it was a gift. And um, you know, I Norway where I live didn't close down completely. We had I was doing concerts, recitals sometimes for fifty people. Down to twenty people, up to two hundred sometimes, um, and every concert felt felt like a, a gift. Actually, it was I was so happy to share music with people, even if there were very small audiences. And um, so I think now, when we come back to real concerts and and an open society again, there is this feeling of of being grateful and thankful for what we what we can do and and what we're able to do again.
0: One thing I know you've really enjoyed doing over the past decade or so is focusing in on one composer and diving into their repertoire, starting with the Beethoven journey in 2012, and now you've been immersing yourself in Mozart's world, and your collaborators have been the Mahler Chamber Orchestra. What is it about this ensemble that makes them so well-suited for these projects?
1: There's a unique feeling with the Marlowe Chamber Orchestra that they are really searching for a truth and something exceptional in each project they do. Um, it's very strange. The orchestra is full of great personalities, but there is a um, feeling that everybody pulls together for the same great goal. Um you know, it's an orchestra which, if if you're a member of the Marley Chamber orchestra, it's also choosing a certain lifestyle because they don't have a geographical home. They are constantly on the road, and I think when they choose that, it's not because it's particularly well paid, or or because certainly not because it's a comfortable lifestyle, but it's because they are craving for this kind of music making, music making that matters. That wants to get to the core of things and, and that's what I feel very is very special with them. And of course their qualities in, in how they can transform sounds and find different characters in the music. In in both Beethoven and Mozart, which I've done a lot with them, you know, they can go from a very explosive chord to total naked loneliness in the next bar and and these kind of I mean they give me sounds and characters Uh, when I play with them, which I sometimes become surprised about, you know, oh, you know, they're able to do things that which I didn't imagine. and That's so inspiring. It's so inspiring to work with them. And one doesn't feel there is a limit, you know, there's always you can always go further.
0: Are you still an artistic partner with them as well?
1: Yes, I'm one of the artistic partners. And you know, when I did my Beethoven journey with them in 2012 to 15, uh, apparently that opened their eyes for this possibility that one could have a number of artistic partners doing projects like that rather than having a, a normal position as a chief conductor. So that's been great for me to see how they have developed that with with different artistic uh, partners over the years uh, mitsuko shida isabel faust Theodore corencis george benjamin the composer and, and and others um so they have a different setup and and it's a very democratic orchestra you know they all have their saying in how the the orchestra develops and uh, i i love how it's set up
0: i was watching a video of you performing um, a piece from this Mozart project with that ensemble, and you're seated at the piano with the lid of the piano removed so you can see them. I'm wondering how challenging is it for you to listen, perform, and conduct simultaneously? It's a good
1: question because, um, of course, playing and conducting are two different things, and um, you use different muscles and when i begin a project like that with them i i will find that for the first two rehearsal days i'm very engaged in the orchestra part and 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 having to you know react on the what they do and and get through my ideas and and then you know when we get closer to the first concert i again have to concentrate on my playing because you know if you concentrate too much on what the orchestra's doing your your own playing is suffering so so um but the wonderful thing about, um, the most wonderful thing about about doing this is that I am, I find myself in the storytelling of the music all the time, whether I'm leading the orchestra or I'm playing. You know, sometimes when I play with the conductor, it's a little bit on and off. Okay, now it's the orchestra's turn. I'm waiting for my next entrance, and I might sit there and be a little bit nervous for you know re- remembering what I what, what, what I have to play next. In this situation, I am in it all the time because I'm leading and I'm playing, and uh, and and that feels very natural in this music because it's a it's a flow between the orchestra and the soloist. There, it shouldn't be separate. Um, it's all one.
0: I was also really surprised to see you literally rise from your seat and stand and conduct and then be able to sit down and put your hands exactly where they need to be to continue the concerto. I mean, what kind of concentration is involved in being able to do that?
1: Well, I have found, especially when doing the opening tutti, the opening introduction of the orchestra of each concerto, which is maybe a longer stretch, like two minutes or so, I have found that I, it, it really helps me to stand up because if you sit at the at the keyboard you you it, it's more strenuous for the for your arms actually and 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 they see me better when i stand up uh, so yeah it's quite natural then to just sit down and and do my bit at the piano when i get to that state
0: mozart momentum 1786 is your latest project it follows Mozart Momentum 1785, which was also named one of the best classical albums of 2021 by Gramophone Magazine. Tell me about the momentum part in the title of these recordings. What kind of momentum was Mozart creating?
1: Good question. I, You know, it's very much about the piano concerto and what happened with that genre at that time in Mozart's life. Already the year before in 1784 he had actually written six piano concertos Um, and they're great. Uh, I'm not saying that you know uh, that was not a momentous year for Mozart, of course it was. But but then when he gets to January 1785 and he writes the D minor concerto number 20, there's still something very radical happening. For the first time, he writes a concerto in, in a minor key, with very serious, dramatic music. But more than that, he starts to separate the soloist more from the orchestra. So you will have very dramatic, restless music in the opening from the orchestra. And when the soloist enters, it's with completely different music. It's with a singing line from far. very individual and it has nothing to do with what the orchestra has done before and that's the first very first time this happens in in any concerto and Mozart must have thought oh I'm onto something new here um, because he follows it up in his next concertos as well so for me it's a it's a revolution it's it expands the storytelling the narrative of what a piano concerto can be like you can you can look at the soloist suddenly as the individual and the orchestra as society, you know there are all this this, this new psychological drama in it. Um, and so you, in a way, it's the the beginning of what the romantic piano concerto would would be like.
0: In 1786, the piano was still center stage in Vienna, but now on Mozart's terms. And he was fully immersed in composing opera at this time. How did his love of opera inspire or work its way into his piano concertos that he wrote at that time?
1: Well, I think in 1786 it becomes even richer. I find myself, when I play those two concertos, number 23 and 24, I'm almost all the time surrounded by orchestra sounds and tapestry of, you know, orchestration and, and themes. Um, it's quite rare that that I'm playing alone and then leave the next section to the orchestra, which was m- more normal in uh, earlier. And furthermore, this operatic thinking and feeling of him at the time, you know, because he was writing Marriage of Figaro. Especially, I think we hear it in all the woodwind solos. He gives tremendous individuality um, and, you know, personality to to each of the woodwind instruments. longer sections where I'm just listening to with pleasure to what what they do in these concertos. You know, you have these ensembles in in Marriage of Figaro where there are six singers at the same time on stage uh, singing about different things and have individual lines and, and that's a little bit the same which happens in these concertos, especially with the wind writing.
0: you have described the energy in mozart's piano concerto number 24 as restless and dark it's more personal
1: it's very interesting when you start to look at how he composes the first movement especially of this concerto in very asymmetric phrases you know normally we 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 feel that Mozart is very classical and balanced and there will be four bar phrases, eight bar phrases. It's very symmetric. In this first movement, the phrases are often like 11 bars and then the next one five bars and seven. And, and we have, he always makes sure that we don't know what's coming next. We have to guess. gives it a restless energy and a a new kind of drama which is very fascinating. It's obviously what he wanted.
0: And this music didn't flow from Mozart's pen as easily as some of his other piano concertos. Can you explain why? Do you know why?
1: Well, I think also it's a little bit of a myth that, that he wasn't working with sketches and so on. I mean, of course, sometimes he was just we know that he just wrote down immediately what he had in his mind and it it, it came easily to him. Other times he really had to work with sketches and and in this concerto there is um, friction. You know, you you feel that there's is, there's is labor. There's some somebody who really have worked with this with this material. Um, to sharpen it and 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 to make real statements, it's no wonder that that this music is uh, was one of Be- Beethoven's absolute favorite Mozart pieces.
0: Did this concerto in any way kind of lay the groundwork for Beethoven and what he did?
1: I think so. If you look at Beethoven's third piano concerto. It's not entirely modeled on Mozart's C minor concerto, but he chooses the same key. And if you look at the opening theme of Beethoven, it has the same third going up from C to E flat. There are many similarities also in the mood of of the music.
0: Mozart wrote his piano quartet in G minor in 1785 and then... In January 1786, he lifted a theme from the final movement and created variations on it for the rondo in D major. And he was also exploring the new technical capabilities of the piano at the time. What were some of those new capabilities, and where do we hear them?
1: Oh, I don't know exactly what happened, you know, uh, technically, but of course there were lots of changes with pianos at the at the time. The keyboard became wider. So you feel in some of these pieces that Mozart goes to the limits of what the piano can do. And if you certainly if you play it on 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 a piano from from the 1780s you see that he, he does go to the bottom key in the bass and the and the highest one in the treble which is not so easy to see on a modern Steinway which has a bigger range than the pianos of the time and I think we overlook how advanced and how new he was in his pianistic virtuosity you know how what a virtuoso he was um it sounds so natural from for, for us today with, with Mozart's virtuosity um, but at the time this was so new and if I play a concerto like number 22 in E flat major there are places in the last moment which have octaves going up and down uh, and, and huge arpeggios it's like you play a piece by list you know which was much much later and um, highly virtuosic
0: you include a couple of chamber pieces in this set and one is the piano trio in B-flat major and in this work, the sound changes quite a bit. Can you talk about how it changes?
1: Well, I've, I found it really fascinating uh, because we're recording this together with the piano quartet in E-flat. <laughs> And in the quartet, maybe because he has these four instruments, he thinks of it much more symphonic in sound, and there is always plenty of bass and warm, generous sound. In the piano tree, on the other hand, I find myself, as a pianist, playing a lot of music up in the treble, very light very charming and and he often leaves the baseline to the to the cellist. so it has a much lighter texture and it's very changeable and playful and therefore very different music in a way than than, than the
0: quartets. Mozart also wrote something very personal in the last days of 1786 and it was basically kind of an aria for piano and soprano. Could you share that story and tell us about this piece?
1: Yes, it's the most unique piece this concert aria called Kio miscordi di te which is um, a text from his opera the Idomeneo which is a love story Um, but the unique thing here is how Mozart makes the beauty of of the soprano voice and he makes it blend with comments from the piano parts. So it's like a kind of duet, you know, where one is without words <laughs> and the other one very much tells the story and um, there's no other piece like this in the literature. The story is maybe he was in love with this soprano that, that was going to do the first performance and then had to, had to make this intimate musical dialogue with, with the soprano, but we don't know that for sure.
0: There is also an educational outreach component to this Mozart Momentum project. It's called Unboxing Mozart, and it's kind of a way to engage concert audiences. Can you give us a little insight about that, please?
1: Yes, uh, uh, that is a project which, of course, suffered quite a bit because of COVID, because um, a group of the audience had to si- were supposed to sign up and get these musical boxes which are sort of playstation kind of things where you where you decide whether you want to be the bassoon in the orchestra or a viola player and then you have to find the other players and you're walking around in the foyer of the concert hall and it it the the, the box asks you to do certain things and to um be interactive with the other players it's quite a um, impressive and interesting way to get into Our kind of music making and to get into this kind of piece. Um, And we hope that this can be used more in the future, uh, now when the society opens up.
0: In working on this Mozart. Momentum project, Leif Ove, what have you discovered about yourself? And maybe it's something that surprised you.
1: Hmm. It's difficult with Mozart. I think what I've discovered is that um, in this music, you can never force it to do something. You you need to have a clear idea of which statement you're going for. But on stage, you have to be open like a child for for inspiration in the moment and and what comes to you because that's so much part of this music. It has a childlike feeling, and and when it comes to you, it's 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 like a grace. It's like <laughs> there will be op- at least moments in concerts where I feel oh now now I'm creating now it's actually happening in the moment, uh, and then there is nothing as beautiful as as Mozart's music.
0: Mozart Momentum, 1786, with Leif Ove Ansnes and the Mahler Chamber Orchestra. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for New Classical Tracks, I'm Julie Amacher, and this is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media.